This morning's scripture reading is from the book of Genesis, chapter 25, verses 19 through 34. These are the descendants of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel and Aramean of Padaranam, sister of Laban the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and his wife Rebekah conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is to be this way, why do I live? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples born of you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the elder shall serve the younger. When her time to give birth was at hand, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy mantle, so they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand gripping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man living in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he was fond of game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff for I am famished. Therefore he was called Edom. Jacob said, first sell me your birthright. Esau said, I'm about to die of what use is a birthright to me. Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Loving and gracious God, open our ears to hear what you would say to us. Open our hearts to receive what you have for us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today's scripture is just the very beginning of the story, the saga really, of Jacob and Esau. Their story takes up a big chunk, about one-fifth of the entire book of Genesis, and it has many layers and levels of meaning and interpretation. So I just want to recap one more time what, um, what we've heard twice already now, but there's a lot of details in there that it's important that we get. Esau and his brother Jacob were fraternal twins, sons of Isaac and Rebekah. 
Rebecca has a difficult pregnancy. We read that the boys struggled together within her. When she asks God about it, she learns that she's carrying not just two babies, but two nations, and that things will not go smoothly between them. The struggling of the twins in their mother's womb sets the stage for the whole rest of their lives. Esau is born first, with Jacob immediately following and actually grasping his older brother's heel. So Esau gets the coveted, privileged position of firstborn son. This is a very big deal. He gets double the inheritance of any of his brothers, and he's in a leadership role in the family after the death of their father. These twin boys turn out to be as different as two people can be in their appearances, in their personalities, in their choices of profession. And as if that weren't enough to produce conflict, their parents also choose favorites between them. Parents, I'm sure you can imagine how this might turn out. Isaac, their father, loved Esau, but Rebekah, their mother, loved Jacob. As you can imagine, all this does not make for peace and harmony in the family. And the trouble further intensifies when Esau comes home one day and finds Jacob cooking stew. Esau demands some of the stew, but to get it, Jacob makes Esau swear to give over his birthright, his special privileges as firstborn son. Amazingly, Esau agrees. This exchange leads to years of conflict and heartache. But you're going to have to read the rest of the story for yourself. We don't have time to get into all of that today. But I encourage, I urge, I recommend to you to read it. Um, it's, it's some of the most intensely dramatic, suspenseful, and moving text in the Bible. And it lays the foundation for everything that follows in the scriptures and for our own faith today. These brief verses lay out many themes we could consider in greater detail today, such as the role of prayer. We see both Isaac and Rebekah engaging in prayer when they're in a difficult place. Isaac prays for Rebekah, who has been barren for years and years and years, to be able to conceive. And Rebekah, when she does, and is having this very difficult pregnancy, also goes to God in prayer. Another theme is the challenges of getting along with and loving those who are very different from us, especially if they're in our families, but not limited to those in our families. Another theme is our tendency to take advantage of someone else's need for our own benefit. We also see here the universality of dysfunctional family relationships. Sibling rivalries and jealousy, real or perceived parental favoritism, 
issues around inheritance. Now, I have to tell you that as a pastor, or maybe even just as a person, I see these situations over and over and over again. And sometimes it helps, and sometimes it's comforting to know that family conflict has been part of humanity from the very beginning. None of us is alone in being in that situation. We also see here God's reversal of social norms. When Rebecca prays, she hears and learns from God that the greater will serve the lesser. This is not what we would expect. And we see such reversals of expectations throughout the Hebrew and Christian scriptures. God's action in the world causes an overturning of human values. But there's one more thing here that I want us to consider in, um, in a little more detail, detail. There's yet another reality reflected here. Esau had been out in the open country, presumably hunting, for who knows how long. When he came back, he was hungry, really hungry. Various translations of these verses read, he was famished, starving, about to die of hunger, starving to death, fainting from hunger. The kind of hunger that leads to desperation, desperate choices and desperate decisions. For Esau, it meant giving away his birthright, his future status and security. We know that such hunger-produced desperation goes way beyond one individual thousands of years ago. Maybe you know the story of the musical based on the novel by Victor Hugo, Les Mis. The main character, Jean Valjean, serves 19 years in prison for stealing a loaf of bread to feed his sister's starving child. And maybe you can picture, if you've seen the movie Gone with the Wind, that scene where Scarlett has gone through a whole lot of stuff and she comes back home and she pulls a carrot out of the ground and eats it and she shakes her fist at heaven and vows, I will never be hungry again. Maybe you know about the 2016 study by the Urban Institute titled Impossible Choices that reveals that the millions of American teens, teens, facing hunger, resort to things like saving their school lunches for the weekend, going hungry so younger siblings can eat, deliberately failing in school so they can get school lunches during summer school, going to jail so they can get something to eat, or selling their bodies for money to buy food. Maybe you know that the desperation of hungry people makes them easy targets for human traffickers. Just this morning in the news on my way here, I heard of a tragic situation um, down in San Antonio, a uh, container of a truck 
was uh, found to contain a number of dead bodies and several people um, in critical condition who were being human trafficked in a truck with no air conditioning and no water. Maybe you've heard about the Afghani father, unable to feed his family, who sold his 11-year-old daughter for $2,000 to buy food for the rest of his family. Illiterate and unable to work, the man could no longer support his family by scavenging because high food prices mean less food is being thrown away and more Afghans are scavenging. When interviewed, the man said, I know people will say I am a cruel and merciless father who sold his own child. But those who say so don't know my hardship and have never felt the hunger that my family suffers. The stories and the statistics can lead us to a sense of hopelessness and helplessness. But I also want us to know today that we are making a difference. Our congregation is helping to feed hungry people, a lot of them. Think about some of our ministries. Just a couple weeks ago, Family Promise was here. And we didn't only provide a safe and comfortable place for people to sleep and to stay, we also provided meals for these families in transition. Our bread ministry, as we spoke about earlier, is helping to feed hungry people. Thank you again for all who are participating in that ministry. And I invite those of you who are thinking about it to uh, give it a try. At Christmas time, when we have our alternative gifts fair, one of the organizations that we raise money for is Heifer International. And Heifer is such a great organization because uh, in providing livestock or bees or different things to uh, an individual family, they actually help their entire community because part of Heifer's mission is to pay it forward. So a family that gets an animal um, uses, um, let's say they get a, a cow, so the milk, they can sell the milk, they can make money, they can buy food for their family, and then they can <clears throat> pass that, those benefits along to others in their community. So it raises the um, economic level, the, the standard of living for everyone in the community by helping one individual family. So we raise money at our alternative gifts fair for Heifer International. This week, I had the wonderful privilege of seeing firsthand some other ways that our congregation is helping to feed hungry people. Maybe you saw some of the pictures of this on Facebook. Um, Pastor Jeff and I and several members of our United Methodist Women traveled to three organizations on Tuesday, not only to deliver them a check, $1,000 to each organization, but also to see the ministry that they are engaged in, to learn more about what they're doing and how they are feeding people. First, we went to the Interfaith Food Pantry in Mars Plains. And this is such a great place. They are so creative in what they're doing to help people. They have a client selection program, so their pantry is set up very similar to a grocery store. 
and then their clients can come in and choose off of the shelf what they want because they know what they like, they know what they need, they know what their families will eat. They also have a mobile food pantry. So they have a refrigerated vehicle that can take food around to people who can't make it. Their, their location is not the easiest actually to get to. So they have a mobile food pantry and they have a satellite pantry on Speedwell Avenue in Marstown that is very accessible. They have a teaching kitchen where their clients can come, a beautiful state-of-the-art kitchen, their clients can come and learn how to prepare healthy meals. Right behind the kitchen, outside, they have a garden. So there's fresh produce. And in some of those teaching times, the clients are learning how to use this fresh produce for healthy meals. Uh, it's just a, um, a great organization. They also have a um, kitchen-to-table program where groups can come in and cook in their kitchen and provide um, packaged meals. So they make the meal and they put it in packaging and it goes in the freezer. And then they have a home delivery program where their clients, clients who may be homebound or uh, in frail health, uh, people, volunteers actually deliver the food to them. And so this, this kitchen to table program the food that gets made and packaged and frozen is used in that home delivery program for people who might even have difficulty preparing their own meals. So there's tremendous creativity and, and wonderful ways that uh, the Interfaith Food Pantry is helping people, and you are a part of that. If you gave rummage to the rummage sale, if you worked at the rummage sale, if you bought anything at the rummage sale, if you helped clean up after the rummage sale, the proceeds from the rummage sale is what enables us to financially support the Interfaith Food Pantry. Then we went to, where did we go next? Uh, the Community Soup Kitchen in Marstown, which serves breakfast and lunch to anywhere from 150 to 300 individuals, 365 days a year. They're located right next to Church of the Redeemer, and they're proud to say that in 20 years plus, they have never missed a day. Snow, rain, um, loss of electricity, whatever it might be. And they are also providing 150 lunches to children who, low-income children who are participating in summer programs at uh, one of the local churches. So there's tremendous good stuff happening at the Community Soup Kitchen. Then we made our way to Cumac in Patterson, Center for United Methodist Aid to the Community. We saw their warehouse. We, we brought the food from our stairwell, and uh, it got weighed. I don't remember. Do you remember? It was like, how much? 228 pounds of food just this week. So thank you all who brought food into our stairwell. We also brought uh, the Panera bread leftover, I don't want to say leftovers, but the, the Panera bread items that we still have. Um, we saw their warehouse, we saw their pantry where the clients uh, get their food. We saw their community closet where they have clothing, shoes, small appliances, all kinds of items at very, very low prices for people in need or for emergency situations if someone has had a fire or a flood. Uh, in their home. So all kinds of great work going on. 
you help make that possible. Like I said, we gave a $1,000 check to each of these organizations from the proceeds of the rummage sale. We also, as you know, this afternoon, we are transforming this space into a place to pack meals for Rise Against Hunger. I am so grateful to everyone who has signed up. We have uh, 40 people who registered online and at least 10 people have told me that they're gonna be there who haven't actually registered. So we are in great shape for volunteers. Thank you all. If you're not able to be here this afternoon, you can still make a financial donation. And I also want those, uh, well, I want all of you to know that we've reached out beyond our congregation for this. We put it out on Facebook, and I know of at least a couple of families who have registered who are not part of our congregation. So we look forward to welcoming them and helping them to also be able to make a difference for hungry people in the world and to do good in the world. And you'll have a couple, there are more opportunities coming up. Uh, in September, Saturday, September 9th, we're going to Kumak to help package food for them. We can take a group of about 20. And on, what's the date? On um, September 24th, that's a Sunday, Kumak is having their annual Action Against Hunger Day. Um, many of you have already participated in that. We go and we spend the afternoon in Kumak's parking lot and truckload after truckload of food comes in and we organize it and we put it in boxes and it's, uh, it's a wonderful, fun event. That same day, our youth, I believe, will be, yes. will be collecting food uh, at King's. That's also part of that Action Against Hunger. Uh, it's a kind of a regional event. So lots of opportunities coming up. We haven't solved the issue of global hunger yet, but we are making a difference. And as we think about all these ways that we are making a difference in the lives of so many individuals, I would share with you some final words that come from Jesus. And these words are actually posted over one of the doorways at Kumak, we saw them uh, this week, from Matthew chapter 25. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will respond, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food? Or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you? Or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Amen. <laughs>